Today's Old Testament reading comes from Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please join me as we pray? Oh, Father, Son, and Spirit, as we are in your presence, each person with their own questions, their own struggle, their own doubts, but here in your presence, would you make yourself known to us? Would you help us see you as Lord and Savior? Open the eyes of our heart. Speak to us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, last week we started a new study which we're calling placemaking. And I mentioned that um, what we do in our church every year is we rotate three different uh, focuses, um, three different values. And you you could think of it this way. Uh, One of them is spiritual practice. That has to do with us and our communion with God. The other is family of God. And the third one is living in place. How do we do mission? Those three things together. And they don't live just divided by themselves. They cross over. But this year we're looking closely at the idea of what does it mean to live in place? What does it mean to be called to place? And we're especially doing that in light of the fact we have been here now 20 years. That God has enabled us to be in this place for 20 years. What will the next 20 look like? Mm, that's a great thing to think about. So I was thinking about when I was a kid. And um, how uh, my friends and I would like to make forts. Did anybody ever make forts when they were young, right? right? Um, and some, if we were inside, if it was raining, we, we would grab a bunch of chairs and a big blanket and put it over that. Or once we got a little bit older and we could go off into the woods, you know, we'd clear out brush and we'd, you know, have a perimeter of the camp and do this and that. Um, 
you know, this, this impulse we have to make places is so natural, it's just second nature. We just do it. We just have to make places. Why is that? Whether it's a campfire or whether it's a city that's being built. And that's what I want us to spend the next couple weeks looking at in more of a broad stroke way. We'll do this actually, you know, unpack really the rest of our time looking at that. But these first chapters of Genesis are just so wonderful and helpful for us to regain this idea of theology of place, or what it means to live in place. And so today we'll look at two things. We'll look at the origin of this call and the obligation. The origin and the obligation. So when we think about this call that God has made us to make places, uh, there are three things that get in the way of this. Right off the bat, I would say at least three things. One I mentioned last week, and that is that we're modern people. Modern people tend to see the places they live, on, live in as background scenery to their lives, right? It's easy to come to the city and just sort of see D.C. as the background scenery to this life I'm trying to make, achievement I'm trying to make, life I'm trying to build. I mentioned last week that we tend to think in terms of space instead of place, something that I just occupy and I scurry through. It's very easy to have a tourist mentality that can plague uh, especially places that are cool to live. I just come and enjoy the coolness of the place. The second two, I think, are specific to Christians. And that is, we can tend to think about this idea of place, focusing on place, to be earthly and sort of unspiritual. You know, I, I mean, aren't there other things that Christians should focus on more than this place here? Aren't we to be heavenly minded? And the third thing is, is the temptation to see this idea of living in place as a minor and not a major. Maybe that's sort of where you're at. Maybe you've been like, you know, I've never really heard sermons on this before. And to be honest with you, I don't know why we're spending several weeks on this idea of place. It seems tangential instead of consequential. These three things I think we have to overcome if we're going to be able to really lay hold of what we find in these passages. And it's where the biblical witness really challenges us. Now last week, we looked at the idea that God is the ultimate place maker. He is the place maker. As you go to the book of Genesis, the first, consider this. The first time we meet God, he's dressed as a builder. The first time we meet God. I mentioned those phrases uh, in, in Genesis when they're talking about the days being created, saying it was evening and it was morning. That's the same thing in our language to say nine to five. God is building. He's building something. In fact, when the woman is created, the literal Hebrew word is, he built the woman. God is building things. 
And he builds the man and the woman in his image and likeness. And this is where God really wants us to slow down. You notice that the text, when you read it, it says in the image of God, they were created, they were created. It slows down, goes into slow motion. Well, why? Well, when something goes into slow motion in a movie or a TV show, it wants you to pay attention to it. And so we're slowing down so that you, you and I understand, wait a second, this is really special. These two are made in a way that's different than the others. They reflect the very image and likeness of God. What does that mean? Let me just say this briefly. Theologians tend, tend to think about the image of God in three different ways. Resemblance, relationship, and ruling. Resemblance, relationship, and ruling. Resemblance, well... We see it right here where God says, let us make mankind in our image. Is there a hint of the Trinity there? The Father, Son, and the Spirit? Yes, there's a hint of it there. And so he creates the man and the woman in his image and likeness. Now consider this, in the near ancient world, uh, rather near east ancient world, oftentimes uh, leaders and kings would portray themselves as gods on earth, as divine. In fact, the Roman emperor Caligula, would uh, he was the first one to really demand that people bow down and worship his statue, his image. And so it was this idea that they would be the divine representations. Maybe you've heard it said before that uh, one of the reasons God commanded Israel, you can't have any images of me, God is a spirit, is because he had already created an image, the man and the woman. They reflect his image on earth. And that's what this idea means, to mirror reflect God's glory. And it's in lots of ways, right? It's in our rationality. It's in our morality. It's in our creativity. It's in the love that we have. These are ways that we image not something impersonal, but a personal God. Where does all that stuff come from? Did it just evolve? Is it by chance? Is it just a matter of chemicals firing off? That's a hard argument for me to buy. That's hard for me to buy. Because what I see looks very personal. It seems to reflect a person and as the man and the woman are mentioned to be in the image, and then later all humankind is, right there we have this giveaway that the image of God is not just male, it's just not female, it's just not one race or ethnicity. It's really a plural understanding. The image of God is seen in the plurality of mankind that he's made. And you think about all the gross sins that have happened and continue to happen over time, and even worse, when it was Christians justifying prejudice, slavery, bondage, right? This idea that one race is the true image was never taught in the scripture from the very beginning. So the second thing, that's resemblance. The second thing is relationship. The Christian faith teaches that God is a relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune God. And so you could say uh, when, when God reveals himself, what we see are three persons in relationship. And so as God creates the man and the woman, 
the image of God is also beheld in social relationships. That's part of the image of God. It's no surprise. You know, uh, what's a neighborhood? A neighborhood is not just people or a place, it's people in a place. There's a social aspect to what we're talking about here, to place-making. And I would make the argument that it's actually, if you have any interest in obeying the two great commandments, and I think some, some of you do, a few of you, I think, do. All of us hopefully do, right? Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus said all the commands in the Bible could be filed under those two. It's impossible to love God or your neighbor without loving your place. How do you do it? Right? I mean, how do you love people when it's not, right? I mean, part of their place. It's inextricably bound to it. The third one is the one we struggle with most of all, this idea of rule or dominion. Because we've seen just terrible examples of it in humankind, right? Just only bad examples. Whether it's someone, you know, uh, totally, uh, you know, scourging the land and the creation out of greed and to make money or polluting the rivers, polluting the air, or whether we see some despot dictator, and right, we don't have to look far to see that. We don't see good rule. Vinath Ramachandra said this, God's kingship through the whole... Two things here, and we'll come back to this. Uh, God's kingship, God's rule, isn't just seen through sort of a president or a king. It is seen through the whole range of human life on earth. So all of us are ruling. Every one of us. And the Bible would say that for Christians, this is actually part of your calling. God is executing the office of Jesus' kingship through the church. How did Jesus rule? Very different way, right? How did he use his power? So kingship, but the other thing is God's rule is not the rule of a despot, but that of a loving parent. The, the phrase that gets thrown around is the man and the woman are vicegerents. God bestows upon them this, this official rule to rule in his place. And what are they supposed to do? They are to extend the blessing, extend the peace, extend the goodness into the place. That's what we are doing here. That's why we're here in Washington, D.C., to extend the shalom, to extend the blessing, the goodness into the place. The command to rule, I thought this was a helpful quote, is not a mandate to exploit the earth and its creatures to satisfy human greed. The fact that Adam and Eve were in the image of God implies that human beings will use the earth wisely and govern it with the same sense of responsibility that God had, right? That makes sense. How can we be made in the image? You see what care, what care he executes in those early chapters. So all of these three aspects are put together. Resemblance, relationship, and rule. But for our purpose, I want you to notice I want you to notice, so God makes humankind in his image. 
And I want you to notice how closely placemaking is to what they're called to do, right? The first time we meet God, he's pictured as a builder. And the first time we see humankind, they're given those directions. I would submit to you, this is not a tangential thing. This is not something that's just kind of added on. This is like fundamental to the call of image-bearing created beings. Because God puts it first. I mean, it's really amazing. God makes this striking, vast, beautiful, fruitful place, and as soon as he pronounces the very good, he hands it over to us. He hands it over. Man. It's very good. He gives it to the man and the woman to develop. To be made in the image of God is to be placemaking. So let me just turn this on those three things I said that get in our way, impediments. First of all, when we understand that we can no longer just see places as background scenery, there's no way you can come to the city and just go, well, this is just kind of a place I'm passing through. Even if you're here, you know, again, you'll hear me say this mantra over and over. Maybe you're here for three-month internship. Maybe you're here for two years. Maybe you're like, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Wherever you are, be there as long as you're there. And you will have a mark upon the city. You can be here for three months and have been a faithful placemaker. Right? And some of it has to do with attitudes. One writer writing about placemaking said there are certain attributes, and these were some of the ones he mentioned. Placemaking includes attentiveness, familiarity, silence, to observe slowness, stability, repetition, particularity, hope, respect, and love. Right? But even just that first one, attentiveness, each, each of us this week could just begin by going, God, would you give me eyes to notice my place? Have you ever had this experience, I'm sure you have, where you, know, you always walk down the same sidewalk to go where you're going. And one day you walk on the other side of the sidewalk and you're like, oh, I never knew that was there. It's just like you went a little bit over, right? Attentiveness to where we are. The second thing is, clearly the focus on place is very spiritual, right? Because God, the great spirit, makes the place, right? And it's the very thing he commands us to do. It's not earthly and unspiritual. We understand, right, as I said last week, we've been created in place, and that's where the story is going to end. God's going to reboot it. New heavens and new earth, sin's gone. It's going to be developed the way that he envisioned it. And everybody that loves and follows him will be about, we'll be getting our hands dirty. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And the last thing, it's not minor but major, and I've already made that point. It's the very first thing God calls us to. And so, one of the ways that sin has messed with us, think about this. How is it that we can just like 
live in places and not even think about where we are, or walk by places, or not be burdened for the places. It's so, it's so contrary to how we've been made. This is what sin does. It turns us inside out. It alienates us. And it's worse than areas, right? It causes us to destroy the creation, to just use it. So that's a bit of the origin, but I, I'm now moving into the obligation, and this is a little bit shorter. And here we could think of this as mandate and mission. Another thing theologically that gets talked about is that in these first chapters you find uh, three mandates. Three mandates implied. Um, the one is, with this idea of relationship, there's a social mandate God places upon the man and the woman. A, a mandate to create society, to have relationship. And you see the failure of that when their son Cain murders Abel, right? All of a sudden that social mandate has been violated in the worst way when sin enters. The second one is a religious mandate. You find that Abel and Cain were making offerings to God, which makes us believe that Adam and Eve were instructed this way by God. They began very primitive worship, right? They began to, to worship the Lord as he revealed himself. And the last one is what we're centering on, cultural mandate. That is, what does it mean to develop what he's given to us? Which is to say, if we're going to talk about mandate, we're talking about obligation. We have an obligation to the place. And this is no surprise, right? We, we just know this inherently. You rent an Airbnb, you realize, I got an obligation to the place I'm in. We're just aware that places have um, a commitment to them. Another way we could say this is covenant. You don't find the word covenant here but you find all the features of a covenant, and the prophet Hosea will actually later say the covenant with Adam was transgressed. What we have here is God is establishing a covenant with humankind. You are in covenant with God, with placemaking in the creation. We are in a relationship with him as his stewards. So that means of all the people on the earth, that should have the highest view of place, it's Christians. Because deep down we understand, you know, and, and when you move to a new place, in some ways it would probably be good to have a covenant renewal service. Right? When you show up, you're sort of like, all right, Lord, you brought me here. And hopefully Christians are praying about where they should go. Right? We never, we never, uh, never want to leave places casually or go places casually. And that's tough because there's so many things that inform us, right? To, 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 maybe it's just like, I'm always surprised how many people, uh, they've got a move planned, and, uh, and I know this is going to sound like such a preacher-pastor thing to say. Such a pastor thing to say. But I'm always surprised when they move and I'm saying goodbye to them, and I say, well, where do you think you'll go to church? And they go, I hadn't even looked. And you're like, that's interesting, Right? Does that sound like a real pastor thing to say? Sorry. <laughs> you guys are just like got really quiet. And he's like, did I say that? You know, or why say that? Uh, 
you know, I'll make sure I research 10 churches before I leave here, you know. You know, but seriously, it's kind of, it just shows us, we kind of like move places. I'm moving for my job. I'm moving for this relationship. I'm moving just because it's COVID. I'm moving because of this. I'm moving because of that. And Christians pray about where they move because someone could meet you as you enter that place and go, welcome to Scranton, Pennsylvania. We have a covenant for you to sign, right? There's a covenant that we're involved with. Um, and that covenant will lead us down some different roads here, right? It, it means that we, we, that covenant involves us longing for the prosperity of the place we're in because God tells us to pray about it. And because God made the earth in that way. If you go to Psalm 72, it's, it's an inaugural psalm for the king. And the king of Israel was called to work so all the earth would prosper. And they're talking in terms of harvest and all that thing, but with a special eye for the poor and the vulnerable. And so as people that are in the city, um, our favorite places of the city can't just be our city, right? What I mean is it's easy, it's easy to be and just go, you know, I love D.C. You know, I, we were just down at the um, wharf. You know, we hadn't been down there in a while. And I was like, man, this place has really got built up. It was nice. It was a beautiful day. Lots of people enjoying it. You know, this place or that place or that place. But for the Christian, they're wanting to see the other places, too. The places that aren't prospering the places that are uh, struggling, the places that have a history of a forgotten place. That's part of what that covenant involves. Because our city, you know, uh, Christians ought to be city positive. That doesn't mean like, you know, love the idols of the city. That does, it means that I, because God made the place. I mean, where did we ever get this idea that we can have disdain for any place? God made the place. It'd be like God going, who are you to hate Toledo? I made Toledo. You know, who are you to make? I say that once because I remember being on a plane and there were like three couple people from Toledo and all they did was talk down about their Toledo place. And, uh, and I, I'm sure if you're anybody from Toledo here, I'm sorry, nobody, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> Listen, I'm sure it's a great, but Pittsburgh gets the same thing, right? I'm from Pittsburgh. So, but the point is, I don't even remember the point. I totally forgot where I was going with that. Oh, how do we disdain the place? Right? And people can get that way about cities. And it's easy to get that way about D.C. Oh, this is about D.C. It's easy to become a church of complainers, Right? And it's one thing, I, you know, it's fun to bear it together and go, ah, but if you, you can really get stuck in a bad attitude. God calls us, part of that covenant, is that we're looking for the glory of the place, hope in the place, respect in the place. We also are concerned about the wounds of the place, because every place has wounds, has deep wounds. In this city, if you, you know, a book that I'm listening through right now as we do this is Chocolate City. And we actually had those authors here a couple years ago. You may want to listen to that book during the series. It's really a wonderful 
book to help us understand the city we're in. But this city began with, with great wounds. I was thinking, I was reading uh, just a bit about this. Um, I mean, you know, it's not the fact that it was built, right, early on with slave labor or the segregations. We see these beautiful historic schools, some of which were started because no one else could <laughs> go, right, to the white schools. But even just the land that was seized. In 2021, there was a, um, a park that stretches behind Lafayette Elementary. Uh, the name was changed from Lafayette Park and Recreation to Lafayette Pointer. And the reason it was done that, because someone had been doing some research for something else, and they came upon the fact that uh, that plot of land was owned by a Captain George Pointer. He was a slave that had become a freedman, and he labored and, had a, and built the C&O Canal and labored faithfully in D.C. Uh, but in 1930, his family had had that land for 80 years. Eminent domain, the federal government seized it, because the Chevy Chase neighborhood, which was primarily white, was growing and needed space, and it was taken, right? And so to be people that have a theology of place is, you know, we're not just tourists. Uh, when our friends come into town, of course, they, you know, I love walking by the monuments. I love, it's a beautiful thing. But that's not the only place we'd want to show them. We'd say, oh, you know, I want to take you to some other places. Because there's, you know, there's a rich story here of a place that God has called us to. So, an obligation. But let me end with this, mission. It's not just a mandate, it's a mission. So, the Bible begins... We started this thing in Genesis, and we're going to end this series in Revelation. Because the Bible begins with placemaking, and it ends with placemaking, but what about the middle? Well, we have something called the Great Commission, right? This is when Jesus Christ, after he is resurrected and he's about to send to heaven, says to his disciples, I'm giving you your main marching orders. Go into the world, preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and teaching my disciples to obey, to obey me. So we do that. We do that. Maybe you're here today because you heard that message and you got converted. Maybe you heard it since you were a little kid. But where does that put us? Okay. You meet God, you get forgiven. You enter into the spiritual relationship with him. But where does it put us? Does it put us in like the ether land? Does it put us in the spiritual realm of an every... Well, no. It puts us back into the original commission. That's what he does. He saves a people, not to just sort of live spiritually. He saves a people... So they can be back about the business that was started and will be finished and will go on for eternity. And so this is very much part of our mission and calling. And I'll tell you, when we, when we commit to it, it just humanizes us. You know, there's, it, it really is empty and vacant to just live as a placeless person. 
Maybe you got a couple, you know, a couple places. I mean, how sad is it that maybe the only place where you really feel place is like the place you grew up? You know, you go back and go, oh, this place, that was that, and that was that, and I remember when we built that, and I remember, and I remember that. You know, it's alive, but you're only there for two days. God means this place to be that for us. One of the signs uh, I felt, Meg and I felt like we were transitioning well uh, when we had moved is, you know, there's always that natural thing where you go back to the place you were and you'd kind of be like, oh. And then I remember there would always be this thing, either flying in a plane or driving in to D.C., and I'd be like, and that was Boston for me. You know, I was just like, I was going to die in Boston. And then God brings us here. And I was just like, you know, okay, here we go. But then I remember coming over the bridge and just going, it's good to be back here. This is home. This is home. And now, you know, 20 years into it, we're just like, Lord, man, we would love if you keep us here. You know, I, I know you get to call and you get the you, marching orders. But man, we've grown to love this place. And, and you know, just feel like, Man, I'm this far into, like, understanding it. This far into really, like, exploring that story. But, man, it's just so great to be together in it, you know, doing this together in place. So, call to placemaking. We're going to come back to this next week and try to dig a little bit deeper into things about, because one of the questions that comes up is, all right, Glenn, how do I see my, like, 9 to 5 as contributing to placemaking? I'm like, you know, we're, we're going to try to dig into that a little bit. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for what you've called us to. Thank you for calling this church to this place. Thank you for every person you've called to this place. Show us our place in it. In Christ's name, amen.